it's too much to bear. That's the position of the private sector organization of Jamaica, PSOJ, regarding the crime rate across the island. It is not news that Jamaica has a dreadful problem with violent crime. By some measures, Jamaica is second only to gang war-plagued El Salvador as the country in which a citizen's life is likeliest to end violently. To date, there have been over 1,100 murders since the start of the year. That represents an almost 10% increase in homicides over last year. This week, for example, Jamaica's splendidly named newspaper The Gleaner covered such stories as the shooting dead of a promising 18-year-old footballer amid a gang feud, the charging of a suspect in a fatal home invasion, a shootout between two taxi drivers in St. Andrew which left one man dead, the death of a police officer and the wounding of four other people in the machine gunning of a wake in Kingston. According to the PSOJ, Jamaicans have been living in constant fear from the overt and senseless violence, which often claims lives and destroy families. What is news, indeed what appears on the face of it good news, is that Jamaica's hitherto bewildered, if not downright beleaguered authorities have come up with a new plan to stop this mayhem. <laughs> the bad news is that it won't work. Because, regrettably, Jamaican authorities have outed themselves as merely the latest in a long line of dunderheads to blame depictions of violence in music or on screen for actual violence that occurs in real life. The Broadcasting Commission of Jamaica has banned the broadcasting of music or TV which can be said to promote criminal activity, including, but not necessarily limited to, the using of drugs, the brandishing of weapons, the general perpetration of malfeasance. You have some people who are hell-bent on pushing the envelope, and there is nothing wrong with pushing an envelope. What is wrong is to push an envelope in an irresponsible way. And we have seen too many instances of that. When those things happen, a responsible regulator steps in and brings the ball back to the center unequivocally. The BCJ has also announced that it has heard enough of the slang used today by these crazy kids. Also on its list are phrases celebrating or pertaining to any hint of material reward which may be accrued from an outlaw lifestyle. All of which, declared the BCJ, serves to normalise criminality among vulnerable and impressionable youth. Among those who have pointed out the shooting the messenger aspect of this, assuming the phrase shooting the messenger has not itself been expunged from the Jamaican broadcasting lexicon, is Kingston dancehall artist Stephen McGregor, who trades as D-Genius, and it seems only fair to let him soundtrack the next couple of paragraphs of this week's explainer. He has pointed out, correctly, that in general art imitates life, rather than the other way around.
But that does leave open the question of influence and the degree to which, as the BCJ fears, susceptible and receptive young folk might be drawn to lives as ne'er-do-wells or perhaps outright scofflaws because they thought it sounded cool on a record or looked cool on TV. And this is, doubtless, a thing. Young men, in particular, are daft and vainglorious and prone to doing all sorts of idiotic stuff in the belief that it will make them wealthy and admired. But it is also, and much more so, not a thing, in that people get to choose their influences and the degree to which they will be influenced by them. The narrator of this explainer, for example, has for many years enjoyed the snarling nihilistic country stylings of Johnny Cash, and yet has no serious ambitions to shoot a man in Reno just to watch him die. When I hear that whistle blowing, I hang my head and the BCJ has allowed itself to be consumed by a variant of the inane moral panics which have attended popular culture since at least the Jazz Age. Primitive rhythms, the savage crash and bang, many people believed was seducing American youths into temptation and sin. The United States, many people feared, was becoming a nation of lawbreakers. And we would hear the same sorts of complaints again with the arrival of rock and roll in the 1950s. And there is another, more fundamental reason why all such prohibitions are not merely folly, but counterproductive folly. The reggae artists, largely targeted by the BCJ, have in common with rock and rollers the fact that a significant part of their genre's appeal is rooted in an image of anti-authority counterculture, however confected or illusory it may be. When a government or any other species of righteous invigilator takes steps to ban such music, it only adds to its luster. Indeed, and which makes this edict even weirder, the BCJ's own executive director, Cordell Green, has acknowledged as much, observing that regulatory attention can have the unintended consequence of giving exposure to and popularising subcultural phenomenon. Well, quite. Back in 1972, the American glam metal star Alice Cooper found himself on the receiving end of the formidable wrath of pious morality crusader Mary Whitehouse, at the time a hugely influential voice in British culture, with considerable sway over politicians and media. Whitehouse was incensed by Alice Cooper's joyously irreverent anthem, Schools Out, and led a campaign to have it banned from the BBC's playlists. Roughly 40 years later, this correspondent enjoyed morning tea with Alice Cooper in his London hotel suite. I asked Alice if he could quantify the impact on his career of Whitehouse's efforts to hound him from the airwaves. It was, he beamed, the greatest thing that ever happened to us. The record went to number one, we sold out Wembley, I sent her a big bunch of flowers. For Monocle 24, I'm Andrew Muller.